This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend and partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. And Pipe, it's been uh, it's been a hot minute since we've done a sports podcast, man. And lots has uh, lots of of things have gone down in the world of sports. Uh, a great NBA offseason. We've got the NFL season about to start. Dude, check this out. I'm I'm sitting here in my office, man, which has a lot of glass and windows. There's a lizard crawling on the window, like right in my studio. This is crazy. I've um, seen a ton of lizards around here recently. It feels like it's it's that time of year. I don't know. I haven't noticed them previously, but they're all over the place now. So for listeners who live for listeners who live in the northern part of this country, a lizard is a, a small reptilian creature that looks kind of like a snake <laughs> yeah. with legs. Dude, they're cool, man. They're not quite scary. They're just kind of cool looking, and I, I feel like in the hot, sweaty South, like nature is just about to take over at any minute. You know, like if I go a week and a half without mowing my lawn, it's just yeah, going to engulf. Have you ever read any books about like people exploring the Amazon and things like that? And they're basically like. It, it's truly man versus nature and nature wins. And this is the kind of totally. place that that's what I, that's kind of how I feel in the South. I'm like, somehow we carved out cities here, but barely. And if we were gone yeah, for wild. eight minutes, they would take back over the nature would. And what's, what's interesting. And I don't know if you felt this in Minneapolis, but I felt that in the North too, except for the seven months of winter where I was just like, why, why did man ever think it was a good idea to settle up here? Like, this is insane. Shoveling snow and like... I felt it less in Minnesota because there are so many Scandinavians that are there. It's just sort of like, we look, Vikings have been doing this with no shirts on for 2,000 <laughs> That's years. That's true. So this isn't even a thing. Dude, they're such hale and hearty people. I think all the cool Scandinavians settled in Minnesota and then like all the, the, the rest of the complainy people just just ended up in michigan where yeah you ended up with the dutch where it's like it's kind of it gets chilly in winter you know there's like wooden skates on canals and stuff like that but it's not like (laughs) it's not like hail hardy negative 40 degrees kind of things yeah it's not like awesome viking weather but uh piper we digress because we have uh a pretty brilliant nba off season to discuss and i want to do this in a very specific way this morning so I want to discuss the NBA offseason in light of uh, Quentin Tarantino's roster of movies. So I'm going to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood tonight. Uh, this is opening weekend for that movie. I'm very excited about it. I very rarely like go out in public for opening weekends of movies. But uh, I'm actually going with some students. Some students invited me to see it. Uh, so it's got me thinking about Tarantino and all things Tarantino. And it occurred to me that... Uh, a lot of these NBA teams, given their moves in the offseason, um, kind of represent certain Tarantino pictures or ideas or aesthetics. And uh, I want to run this theory by you, and then I want to lean on your NBA wisdom uh, to talk us through this and, and see where we're going to be once the NBA season starts. So does that sound okay? Yeah, I'm excited about this because, listeners, I don't have any idea where Ted's going with this in terms of which team is which movie. And so this is a uh, – I'm, I'm going to be – pulling commentary out of the air as we go which is my, I love it. which is I love my it. favorite thing to do that's your thing man and, and equating things to movies is my thing so i think together we'll we'll make a great show but these are in no particular order so uh we'll just we'll just walk through them okay so the first one uh utah jazz reservoir dogs uh ensemble cast and underratedly great uh not pretty but they may ultimately get the job done so we're talking about mike conley rudy gobert 
I low-key think that the, the Jazz might be the best team in the West and that Reservoir Dogs might low-key be the best Tarantino movie. Um, so talk about that, Piper. Am I, am I in the wheelhouse or am I off base? I think you're in the wheelhouse on that one for sure. Um, okay. It's, uh, let me, I'm just thinking through, thinking through Reservoir Dogs. It's been a few years since I've seen that one. Yeah, really deep cast, but no, yeah. almost no standout like no headliner, yeah, no headlining superstar. You know, you, you, there, every every guy has his moment. Yep. Um, and then, like last year, this would not have been a good pick because last yeah. year the Jazz were were not as deep and interesting. But with the trade from Mike Connolly and signing Bogdanovich, they all of a sudden they now run four or five guys deep, all of whom are, are kind of multi-talented. They got Donovan Mitchell. They got Rudy Gobert. Absolutely. Um, getting rid of favors was a great move because he just sort of clogged up that thing for him. Um, Dude, yeah, there's no, I think it works. Yeah, like there's no filler in Reservoir Dogs. You know, there's no weak scene because there's really no weak member of the cast. Like you, en- you enjoy all the scenes. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy all the scenes with the Utah Jazz. Like and- watching these guys play together, like real – Real grown-ups, real pros. Right. Um, I dig it, man. And you and I, I, I and you and I both it. have a, a deep love for Mike Connolly and his game Huge. too. So absolutely, uh, I think I think that I think the other reason this one works is because when I think about Tarantino's movies, there's so much unevenness. You know, yep. like they're they're way up and down. Yep. But yep. Reservoir Dogs isn't really. It just sort of yep. holds its its pace throughout. And that, like you said, there aren't any weak there aren't any weak. Uh, moments in it and i think that would be if the jazz win like if they say they say they go to the finals out of the west which you know it's a long shot but yeah uh it'll be because they're deep enough to weather the storms or every other team if one star goes down they might not be able to pull it off dude i totally agree and also per reservoir dogs this was like before uh tarantino really started like messing around with chronology and getting a little too creative for his own good and uh it's like don't overthink it you know just put Put good, like grown-up professional basketball players on the floor and let yeah. them do what they do. And you got a good big man. I mean, this team is almost crafted in like a like a '90s motif, which also also dovetails with Reservoir Dogs and Tarantino. And that um, that was kind of the ultimate sort of cool guy movie in the '90s. And this team almost reminds me of a '90s team in that they have a great point guard, a great big man. Um, they're going to be physical when they need to be. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting team. All right, and, Pipe, and one more one more comparison. Rabid yeah. fan base. Rabid fan base, so like, absolutely. So Pulp Fiction, which I'm sure you're going to get to, and I'm fascinated by oh, where yeah, you we'll go with it. that one. Um, yeah. But Reservoir Dogs, the people who love it, love it. And jazz yeah. fans are insane. There's a small number of them, but they're insane. In a, Dude, in a kinda, positive fandom way. I kind of love the jazz. I've got a jazz jersey. Somebody got me a uh, a, a Gordon Hayward jazz jersey a few years ago, and uh, I'm I'm excited for it, even though Gordon's not there. But we're going to get to Gordon in this next category. All right. Uh, so our, our next one, Piper, is Hateful Eight, and I actually have two teams for this one. Um, let's let's start with the Toronto Raptors first. Uh, cold, snowy, and boring. Now, um, Hateful Eight was a cold <laughs> movie. If you've seen it, it does nothing but snow and, and be freezing that whole movie. Um, and I thought it was. Uh, unbelievably boring, which uh, is what the Toronto Raptors are going to be, minus Kawhi Leonard. Um, so Toronto as hateful eight, cold, snowy, and boring. That's my first one. I want to give you a minute to respond to that until I lay my second one on you. I think that's that's pretty fair. I think the other comparison that, that works is that hateful eight did have, like there were moments where, you know, because again, massive yeah. ensemble cast, there were moments yep. that were real exciting. And, you know, Pascal Siakam's going to have 
his highlights every week where he puts a he spin is, move he's on be somebody. For sure. He's, you know, he's going to average like 23 and nine this year or something like that. And, you know, Kyle well, Lowry will have some big games as an old guy, kind of like, I don't know, Samuel Jackson and hateful eight or something. Exactly. Like that. So it, exactly. There, there are, there's some apt comparisons there. I think that one works too. Dude. Yeah, you're right. And you watch, you watch hateful eight for the individual performances. Like to me, I knew about a half hour in that I wasn't going to like the movie. But I was also like, I'm going to ride with this thing. I'm going to ride it out because I, I respect a lot of these actors and I just want to see them work. Um, that's that's why you're going to watch Toronto on League Pass next year. You're going to catch a little Pascal Siakam and, yes. uh, and it's it's going to be a good thing. And I think that's why Tarantino movies work for NBA comparisons because even if it's not a good movie, there's always at least one or two performances that you're like, well, that was fun to watch. Which is like, that's why you go to NBA games, even if your team stinks. You're like, I mean, I'm a Timberwolves fan. They're not going to be good this year, but Carl Anthony Towns is going to be fun. So super fun. He's he's sort of the he's the he's the peak performance in a bad movie. Absolutely. Okay, this is my honorable mention for Hateful Eight, Uh, Boston. The Celtics, aging white star, but is no good. Um, I, I think the Hateful Eight had that. Uh, they had Jeff Bridges, who uh, who I, I respect and actually love. Like Jeff Bridges is kind of like man crush territory for me, as is Gordon Hayward. Um, but I'm I'm coming to terms with the fact that you know, in in, in NBA terms at least, Gordon is now aging. And um, how old is he? Like 29. He's 29, but it's been a hard 29, man. Well, yeah, with, when you with the when you turn your ankle your leg 90 degrees the wrong direction things things tend to age faster exactly but that's boston right like they got this old overpaid white star that's no good and uh you know they they're gonna they're gonna pay for it i think this year so see i um, i i disagree with this take this is because first of all i think i think hayward will bounce back very well this year um okay because I hope so dude as a gordon hayward apologist i hope so Be, well because he's he's not so old that he you know that he's like his body's breaking down if you remember when paul george broke his leg it took him about a season and a half to get back yeah, to right. being great and so then he had one really good year and then this last year he was almost mvp level i don't know that hayward's that good but i think he can get back to all-star level because he's, yeah. he's a full year plus removed from the injury um and then the other thing is Losing Kyrie will make everybody on that team better because Hayward and Kemba are both good guys, as far as we know, who are both good playmakers. The other, so Tatum and and Jalen Brown can play better. Marcus Smart is his wrecking ball of a self. Their biggest loss was not Kyrie, it was Al Horford because Horford's a stud. But I think they will be better this year or at least more fun to watch. And it might so, be addition by subtraction. They might be more likable without Kyrie. Yeah. In well, fact, I think, they will be for sure. And I think they'll play a more fun style of basketball because they have guys who will move the ball. They have better shooters. I mean, Kyrie was a good shooter, but he was also like a dribble 19 times and then shoot the ball guy. And um, so I, I'm not sure this one works quite as well. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear what you're saying there, man. And, I, and actually, as a, again, as a Gordon fan, I hope you're right. Uh, let's go to the next one, Piper. L.A. Lakers, Pulp Fiction, lots of stars, but overrated for what it is. Um, I'm not a Pulp if, Fiction guy. I, if you had not used the word overrated, fiction. that's the first thing I was going to throw out there on both totally, accounts. Totally overrated, man. This this movie is overrated. I've, I've watched it several times. Like the first time was in college with, with the, 
beret wearing douche down the hall who like it needed to swing his intellect around and show you everything he knew about movies. I didn't love it then. And I, I don't love it now as an adult. Um, and I don't love the Lakers. I think, um, at the end of the day, when you look at the, the, the lineup of Tarantino movies, um, Pulp Fiction is for me, like it's middle of the pack. And I think the Lakers are going to be middle of the pack. Um, AD means title or bust, but, uh, I don't think it's going to deliver Piper your take. Yeah, I. The only tricky thing about these comparisons is that obviously basketball teams have some variants, and the movies are what they are. Like we know what the movie That's is; true. it's a finished product. So That's true. I could see the Lakers being a top two seed, top three seed, if if AD is MVP level. The mm-hmm. thing is, neither AD or LeBron are going to show up for 40% of the games, either because of injury or load management or whatever. That's kind of yeah. like Pulp Fiction, where like 40% of the movie was like, this, this is dumb. This whole thing yeah. is dumb. Nothing's happening. The stars aren't starring. I don't. The stars it. aren't starring? Nobody's really in the movie for the whole movie? Right. If you love Bruce Willis, you're frustrated because he's only out there 40% of the time. Um, and it's it's going to be the same experience with the Lakers, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, and, and you just sort of have these these erratic performances, which, you know, it's by design. It's supposed to be a weird movie, but, like, that's the Lakers. They still have Rondo. They still have, I think they signed Boogie Cousins, which in Boogie. theory is fun. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's now broken down and and not good anymore as far as we can tell. Uh, maybe he'll bounce back fun. this year. I think Boogie got less fun, and I, I, that's that's not an indictment of him as a person. It just it it happens with certain athletes where, when the when the Warriors signed him, you're like, oh yeah, this is fun. Like throw Boogie into that locker room and that mix. Let's see what happens. But uh, but yeah, I, I feel not the same way about about Lakers era Boogie. Um, okay, one one more honorable mention again for Pulp Fiction Piper, Brooklyn, and hmm. I, I say this because Pulp Fiction, even though I don't like it, it resurrected some careers. And um, I, I think Brooklyn needs to resurrect the career of, of Kevin Durant, like post-injury Kevin Durant, for it to really work out. Um, talk about Brooklyn in light of Pulp Fiction. I mean, Brooklyn's basically in like a purgatory year because they yeah. signed Kyrie and Durant, but Durant's out this whole year, probably. Yeah. I mean, and if he comes yeah. back, he's going to be, you know, it's basically going to be a knock-the-rust-off kind of thing. So it's sure. it's... It's basically a worse – this year, they're a worse version of last year's Celtics because it's Kyrie and young dudes. Uh, and we all know he's a bad leader of young dudes, and so yeah. could, things could get toxic fast. Yeah. Um, I think Kyrie and Durant could work really well together, but we won't get to see that for another season. And so it's – I mean, honestly, the best thing they could do is hope that like Kyrie misses half the season with sprained ankles and they get another high draft pick or something like that. Dude, the best thing we can hope for is is the way that Tarantino plays with chronology in Pulp Fiction is just that they could jump ahead a year and like forget that this year ever happened. <laughs> yeah, because just, just put the end at the beginning. Dude, like really the only scenarios are bad for this year because you know Kyrie is going to split the locker room because he always does. Um, he's going to ruin the like off the court dynamic and that's all that this year is going to accomplish. Um, I think you're right. I think best case scenario is like a kind of severe but recoverable injury to Kyrie, which gets them another high draft pick and keeps Kyrie kind of off the floor yeah, and out like, of the like limelight. Like a year so of back speak. spasms or something. That's like it's the kind You're of thing right. he can't play through. But you know, then he has he gets you know he goes through some therapy in the off season, builds his core strength, and then comes back as a new man with Durant back 
hoping Durant comes back as at least 80 or 90% of himself. The Achilles is, is a rough one to come back from. But, yeah, yeah I just – I think they're – Turn him into late career Larry Bird, like laying on the floor with a heating pad on his well, back see, for the Here's the, the thing about Durant year. is like he can have – he can have Dirk Nowitzki's career. Where yeah, you're he, right, dude. Even as totally. he – like – so if he even loses, he ages, if he he loses awesome. 50% of his athleticism – He's not yeah. going to lose fifty percent of his scoring because he can. He still has the silkiest jumper. He still knows how to play angles. He can still fade away. You know, he's he was already a better defender than Dirk ever was. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he he can play until he's thirty nine if he wants to. Absolutely, no, I agree, man. I totally agree. Uh, all right, Piper, let's get uh, let's get back into this thing. Um, next one, L.A. Clippers. Once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, lots of stars expectations are sky high and it's Los Angeles. And my, my question on this one is, do we trust Paul George? Um, I, my assertion is Paul George is not a movie star. Um, Leo and Brad are movie stars, but let's say, let's say Brad decided not to do the movie and they, they filled his spot with somebody who's amazing, but isn't quite a movie star. Uh, I think that's the Paul George dynamic here. I'm not sold on it, uh, but I want to be. So uh, in the same way that I'm going into the movie tonight with huge expectations, I think I have, I have the same uh, outlook for the Clippers. Uh, talk to me. What do you think about this team? I, this team is really interesting to me because, it, it, I, yes, very similar, very similar feelings about both for me in that I have really high hopes, but there's a part of me that goes, I don't think they're going to live up to that. So yeah. on the movie side, it's because it's because Tarantino's uneven. You know, he delivers some yeah. bangers and then he just some busts. And yeah. and both of these guys are capable of putting out great performances in bad movies. Yeah. Um absolutely. So and then the other thing is on the basketball side, G- George has this shoulder injury that sort of has nothing has been disclosed about it, but he might miss the first quarter of the season or something like that. Yeah. And Kawhi will never play 75 games in a season ever. So even if he's healthy, yeah. they're just going to hold him down so that he's strong for the playoffs. So there's just going to be lengthy stretches of, like, I don't know. I don't even know who else is on their team. I know they have some decent depth with young guys, but I forget who all is on there. It's just going to be, like, it's going to be, I don't know, Patrick Beverly and, and Lou Williams and stuff like that. And that's, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Those are sort of the... Those are sort of the that guys of the NBA. It's like, oh, that guy's in this. Exactly. That's fun. Like the moment. Michael Madsdens of the yeah. NBA. You know? um, like, yeah, I've seen that guy in like 12 things. But but if those guys are both on, I think this is the best team in the West. Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think Paul George is a number one NBA superstar player. I think yeah, he's I, I think he's plenty good enough to be the number two on a title team. But yeah. and Kawhi is very clearly good enough to be the number one on a title team because he's done it twice now. So exactly, um, once with Tim Duncan as who was supposed to be their best player, and then Kawhi was actually the best player at that point yep. in Tim's career. So I think it would be kind of like in in uh, in this movie if you know everybody kind of expects Leo to be the star because he's sort of the the, the current A lister, but Brad yeah. just. He's like, no, no, I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm gonna just going to own this one, which is kind of what I think would happen if this movie is great. I don't think Leo will carry the movie. I think he'll be the I character agree. actor, and Brad will own the film. 
dude, I agree. I, th- I think Brad has to own the film. Um, and, and yeah, in that, like we're, we're going to need a big Paul George step up, um, for the Clippers to truly own the West. But I agree like on paper. So if you compare once upon a time in Hollywood, just the hype for it, right. And the cast, if you compare it to reservoir dogs and you tell people I've got a free movie ticket, which movie are you going to see? You're going to go see the one with, with Brad and Leo in it. Um, but reservoir dogs might be the better movie. Uh, so we'll, time will tell. I'll know after tonight, and we'll know after the uh, after the NBA season whether the the Utah Jazz or the Clippers uh, are the better team. Okay, next one, pipe. Next one, and I I feel like we might have some pushback on this because I think we disagree about this team. All right, uh, Gold, Golden State, Golden State Warriors, uh, Kill Bill for me, a creative okay. franchise that yeah. maybe everybody is sick of. Um, Kill Bill was in that kind of post Pulp Fiction. Maybe everybody's sick of Tarantino kind of stage in his career. Um, there were there were people that liked those. Uh, there were maybe too many of them. Um, Didn't they only I, I feel do that two? way about the Warriors? Yeah, they only did two. But you I know, mean, maybe pe- people felt like it might it might not be a movie that deserves two. You know, it it may have been better as a one off. All right, let me um, let me further this comparison to see yeah. how you feel about this. So let, let's take the premise that you've created. They have announced a Kill Bill three, which. Yeah might be better than the first two or at least more fun because we haven't yeah. seen it. I mean, when did the last one come out? Like 12 years ago? Yeah, a long time ago. So if the ago. third one comes out 12 years later, that's a little bit like this is the this is the post-Kevin Durant minus Clay Thompson resurgence for Steph Curry. So yeah. it's, it's sort of the like, oh, right, this is fun. Yeah, like, that's I, right, dude. And so I... I disagree. Like I, you might be more negative about Kill Bill than I am. I I recall yeah. really enjoying those movies. I haven't seen them since they came out, so I yeah. don't have yeah. I don't have a lot of detailed recollection about them. But I I recall watching them and thinking this is really creatively done, really fun, flashy, yeah. cool cool way of doing things, cool story. Um, Dude, I would like to get back to Golden State being fun. You know what I mean? And I, I think the it, it's so funny, like human human relationship dynamics wise, just Mm -hmm. the, the insertion of Durant and kind of boogie made it less fun. Um, but, but yeah, you subtract some of those pieces. Um, you kind of give Steph the Steph is the Uma Thurman, right? He's, Mm -hmm. he's the one on the poster. Uh, he's back on the poster. He's back being Uma Thurman and kill bill. And maybe you let him be the movie star and, um, and maybe it gets more fun. You know, I, I, I think you're I think you're actually onto something there. I really like that. See, I Golden State is going to be one of my favorite teams to watch this year, assuming Steph is healthy, because I think the signing of, of D'Angelo Russell is intriguing because mm-hmm. with Clay out, especially he gives them a, a, a good second score. He's not Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson's yeah. the second best shooter in the NBA and probably a top five shooter in NBA history. Um, yeah, but. D'Angelo Russell, all-star level guard, young player, good talent. They can trade him if they need to, whatever. Um, yeah. But I think Curry is is going to – I don't know that he's going to be able to sustain it like he did for his NBA – or his MVP seasons. But he's yeah. going to have those those like – those games where he hits like 11 threes and a half and just goes off. And it's going to be fun to watch. Draymond is going to be insane because he doesn't know how to turn it off. Like he doesn't pace himself. Yeah. He's not sort of like, well, let's just get to the playoffs. And this year, they can't pace themselves. They're not good yeah. enough in a strong conference. I think they're going to be really fun. Yeah, dude. I, I think you're right, man. I like that. Uh, all right, next one, Piper. Dallas Mavericks, Inglorious Bastards. 
Huh. Uh, non non Americans, Luka Doncic and Porzingis steal okay. all the scenes, um, as in Inglorious <laughs> Bastards. And I think Cuban is Aldo the Apache. Um, <laughs> I I love Inglorious Bastards. To me, it's my it's it's far and away my favorite Tarantino, with Django Unchained being a, a close second. Um, but Inglorious Bastards is uh, is is a great movie. Um, it was it was kind of the coming out party for uh, oh who's the 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 foreign guy who who spoke like three languages in the movie and stole all the scenes. Yeah, uh, Christoph Waltz. Yes. Yeah, Christoph Waltz. And uh, I don't great. know. I think that's going to be Dallas. People are kind of they're kind of sleeping on Dallas. I, I don't hear a lot of buzz about them. Um, but but they could low key rise up and be and be a great team. Um, they're going to be another fun league pass team. Like Luca Porzingis. You're going to not want to miss what what happens in Dallas, even if they don't win the title. Um, talk about that one, Pike. So I, I, I'm, I'm conflicted on this one because I, I, I love the comparisons you made and how you made them. However, mm-hmm. I think in terms of just sheer quality rankings, Inglorious Bastards ranks higher amongst Tarantino movies than Dallas will amongst NBA teams. I totally agree. That's so, a great, great point. So, but it, but in terms of like fun, yeah, the the likability, the 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 total swagger of of uh, Doncic and just sort of his like he and Christoph Waltz have something very much in common, and that there's they, they're hams, the, they're big, they're big absolutely stars. they're and just charismatic killers. Now I realize yes. comparing a nineteen year old NBA star to a Nazi is not nice. <laughs> I'm only exactly. I'm only talking about the sort of ethos, not the not the morality. Yeah, the performance aspect um, for sure. But yeah, just absolutely. Walt stole the scenes. He was hilarious and also terrifying. Yeah, and and <laughs> never shied away from the moment. Like Doncic is one of the most fun guys to watch in the NBA. Period. Just his his absolute. Like he doesn't back down from anybody. He thinks he's as good nope. as anybody, and he's still young and chubby. Like, imagine if he ever figures out. Oh, that dude, it's unbelievable. Maybe yeah. like eating cheeseburgers at four a.m. is not good for you, and and you should you should work out some. And he has no conscience about anything None. either. Like he can miss nine threes in a row, and he's he's going to keep pulling. And he and, uh, he's, and he's got that he's got like that great combination of he's still young and athlete, fairly athletic. He's not a freak. Yeah, but he's got yeah. like the James Harden like herky jerky thing going on he's got the yep. kevin durant yep. leaners and step backs he's he's fun dude he's almost like a too. he's almost like a pastiche of everything you wish you could be if you were a little kid growing up watching the nba right now which is is probably what he was a decade ago in europe you know watching all these uh american nba players kind of stealing this from this guy stealing that from that guy i mean he really is like the product of some Top shelf athleticism combined with like what it looks like to pull a lot of great aspects of a lot of great games from different yeah. guys, and it's um, it is it's fun to watch that mixed with sort of the way that Europeans are coached, which is yeah. a much more ball movement, player movement, m- less isolation. Although the NBA is less isolation than it used to be, I think. Yeah. Um. But so you you just sort of have these different things ingrained into somebody. And then you drop in there just like four shots of like assassination ego, like just yeah. f- fearless, no conscience. <laughs> I'm better than everyone, which is so fun. absolutely. Well, dude, and in the same way that like every minute of Inglorious Bastards to me was like just a super fun watch, right? There's no, there's no boring scenes. There's going to be no boring night with the Mavs as long as they stay healthy. 
like you're going to want to tune in for for what it looks like to see Luca and Porzingis um, Man, I want on the por- floor. At the I same want time. Porzingis to be healthy so bad, dude. Me too. The NBA is so much better when he's healthy. He's he's such a good superstar. Well, because he um, he's very similar to John Doncic in terms of that. Just sort of like he's got swagger. He's got attitude. He's not afraid of anybody. He's got a unique game because he's he's sort of gazelle like, except he's seven two and sweet jumper. He's so fun to watch. If you, you know could ever fun, get on I, the court, and I, I don't want to take this to a too much of a political place, but. It's fun when white guys have swagger. How, how long has it been? It's been a while, right? Who yeah. was the last great white guy with like world class swagger? And and well, like the one great. I'm gonna say is too easy. Um, oh, who are you gonna say? Larry Bird, like well, ultimate swagger white guy. I was gonna go one in between. Steve Nash was close. Dude, you're right. You're he right. Was, That's a good one. Actually, he was more That's like a really good he one. was more like sneering swagger, not like uh-huh. chest thumping swagger. Yeah, uh, Jason Williams, who was not a great player, but made up oh, for white it with chocolate. swagger. Yes, you're right, man. He was um, fun. I'm trying to think if there are if there were any others. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think too. There's got to be some we're forgetting. Um, I feel I, like the current lineup of NBA white guys they kind of they're either like awkwardly European or they're they're Kyle Korver and they just kind of know who they are. Um, yeah, even the like the guys who have been at their like Gordon Hayward, Kevin Love have both been, you yeah. know, top twenty NBA players at their peak, and yeah. neither of them were swagger guys. Totally, totally. Although, well, Kevin Love early in earlier in his career kind of was, you know, he yeah he he had a little bit more once he went to play with LeBron. He, I think he just yeah sort that, of got some that, of that beat all out the of swagger and joy out of yeah. him, which is another reason why the LA Lakers are Pulp Fiction. Like, I don't know, I think LeBron. We're 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 seeing some some cracks in the in the whole LeBron's a good a good guy thing. Like, well, I mean, I uh, think I think LeBron is. I think he's. I mean, he's one of a kind. I think he's. First of all, he's like top three or four ever in minutes played at this point, which means I know, at thirty five. Yeah, that's crazy. Like thirty five is not young for any NBA player. Thirty four, thirty five with that many minutes on you is is like old, old. And even though he's Dude, an athletic him, yeah, super like freak, a, he's just he's yeah. gonna break down if if he hasn't already started to. But then just yeah, the personality thing is such is so intriguing because he's he now has a reputation that teammates don't love him. Some do, but some absolutely yeah. hate him. Yeah. But then he gets not like, unlike Pulp Fiction. But then his public it. persona is very likable and engaged. Like mm-hmm. all the videos of him coaching or, or cheering for his son and those kinds of things. And there's just no negative stories about him. There's no yeah. controversy. There's no mistreating like waitresses. There's no yep. nothing, which yep. I think is a really good sign because I'm pretty sure that stuff would be found out. So I think he probably is a good guy. I think he's just sort of an a-hole competitor. Yeah, that's true, man. With an which, ego. I mean, to be fair, like that, that descriptor probably fits the guys that we love most in the NBA. I mean, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, mm-hmm. um, you know, that would apply to to both of those guys. Except Jordan uh, wasn't right. even a good guy in real life. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We got a few more, Piper. I wanna I Let's wanna move it. to the next one. New Orleans Pelicans, Django Unchained. Uh, hmm. and this is more of a reflection of the the geography of the place than the okay. team itself. But I said <laughs> my note was uh my note was hot, sweaty, and gross, but potentially brilliant. Um that's that's kind of how you feel when that's, you're in New Orleans. It's kind like, of New Orleans in a nutshell. The city is 
right. The city is disgusting and gross, and I'm it's like 112, and I'm I'm just swampy beyond all recognition. But it, I might have a brilliant time here, you know. And I I think I think that's the that's kind of the deal with New Orleans. Like they they went all in on on Zion, obviously, and um, they're looking to the future. They've still got some good pieces there. Um, you know, that could be a brilliant team. Um, I love Django Unchained. It's probably my second favorite Tarantino movie. And um, I want to love the Pelicans. And I, I feel like it could happen. See, I... The only reason I disagree with this one is because I don't think the Pelicans have earned the title of Django Unchained. Because that I movie agree. is... I think it's my favorite Tarantino movie. Yeah, that movie is, like, and astonishing. Like every and performance in it... Again, listing people we've already talked about with great love and affection. You've got Leo. You've got Waltz. You've got... Uh, I know you got yep. Jamie Foxx, who crushes. You've got Samuel Jackson. I mean, there's so many unbelievable performances in that. I think Kerry Washington was in it. Um, yep. And... And, and the Pelicans have the potential for that, but not a single guy on that team other than Drew Holiday has sort of proven himself to be a good NBA player. Absolutely. So I, I, so I feel like we need to come up with an honorable mention. We that, do, man. Who, that is, who's the that is an NBA, NBA team who's closer to actually being this. Yeah, you're right, man. You're See, right. I would have been inclined to, if, if I was just going to pull off the top of my head, I would have given the Golden State Warriors Django Unchained First of all, because I never hated them the way a lot of people did, but yeah. because because I I look at this and I go, um, Leo's character is Draymond Green, just uh-huh. the the crazy dislike, the completely <laughs> yeah. unlikable villain who makes the right. movie thrilling. Uh, yep. He's dangerous. He's insane. Uh, yep. Jamie Fox is is Steph, just Ooh. just the assassin. <sighs> yeah. Although Man, I, I don't want to like that comparison, but I think you're right. And then, and then you, it starts to break down a little bit around there because Christoph Waltz's character is so good, and I'm not sure who on like where things start to go from there. But in terms of just sort of likability, star power, I think that's a good one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who else. Who else might be a good fit for uh, for that movie on the on the they're already good enough scale? Yeah, man, I don't know because. I mean, Houston. We haven't, we haven't, mentioned, about, we haven't mentioned Houston, but I just dislike dude, everybody in Houston. Houston. Okay, yeah, is it, I've, is I've it, got one for Houston. Okay, good. Uh, I can't wait to hear this because it's got to be the Tarantino movie where every character is unlikable. Uh, it's it's not. I went a different direction. Okay, but, but I think you'll get it. Um, yeah, man. Like we haven't talked about Philly yet, but no. Philly doesn't have a Django. Like there's not no. a there's not a super alpha killer on that team, which well, is why, which is why they're and, stuck in and where they are. Could be you know? real close. Although I think he's he more the Christoph Waltz guy at this point where he's, when he's good, he's really good, but he's just a little quiet for parts of the movie. Yeah. I mean, he's not in shape too. So you're not yeah. going to get a, you're not going to get a full two hours of Embiid, like to keep the movie analogy going. You're, you're, you're not you going to get, get that during an thing. NBA game. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, man. I think I think Golden State is the is the one here for Django. And if we're going best NBA team and drawing a straight line to best potentially best Tarantino movie, um, I think it's hard to go wrong with Django Unchained and the Golden State Warriors. Okay, so uh, we tease this. This is my next one, Piper. Houston Rockets, Jackie Brown. Uh, people forget that it happened, but it might be awesome. Uh, I people I, I feel like people have forgotten about the Rockets, uh, but they do have. Russ and they do have Harden still. 
Um, so it, it may rise up and end up being awesome. People that love Jackie Brown really love it. Uh, I do think it's a really good movie. Um, but it's kind of forgotten when people talk about Tarantino pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a different take on the Rockets, and I'd be interested in like which, you know, to me, like the Houston Rockets might be the Hateful Eight, like an ensemble cast full of like dirtbags where everybody's the bad guy and there's nobody to root for. Um, so maybe maybe that's the maybe that's the Tarantino comp for you. Am I am I close? Well. The difference is, I think Houston. I would probably put Houston down as the favorites in the West right now. Yeah. Um. Because I probably would have picked them as the favorites if they had kept Chris Paul, and I think they upgraded by getting Russ, assuming it works. Like that's volatile, but I just dislike everybody on the team. So I don't dislike them as players. I I think Harden is insane, <laughs> and I think yeah. Russ is is probably a better second wheel than first, you know, yeah, in, in, in terms sure. of, in terms of leading a team. I just don't like anybody on them. It's purely subjective and, and like ego attitude, playing style, all of it. They drive me nuts. Yeah. But dude, it sounds like really hateful good. You. What's that? They are really good. Yeah. It might be hateful eight, you know, um, a yeah, lot except, of unlikable that characters. That movie, in that. That, like you said, that movie was, like I the movie wanted, was bad. I wanted to like it, and it and it never delivered anything. Exactly. I feel exactly. like I yeah. I feel like Hateful Eight is. I mean, probably like again going back to the Lakers. Like man, they could be good. Look at that cast, but also boring. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, pipe. I got one more, and I feel like this is my least strong one, but it's the least strong Tarantino picture. So it kind of it kind of makes sense. Uh, New York Knicks. Grindhouse. Uh, there are big names involved, but they're mm-hmm. forgotten for a reason. Um, I, I feel like Grindhouse is kind of the forgotten Tarantino moment. And um, and it's, it's you know, maybe with good reason, even though there were some names involved, including his. Uh, I feel like this is the New York Knicks spending lots of money on a on a mediocre product. That's kind of uh, that's kind of the, the, the Grindhouse experience for Tarantino. Um, talk me through this, man. I. I don't. I don't even know how to say anything about the Knicks at this point. Like they've literally failed at everything they've ever tried. They can't yeah, get dude. stars. They can't keep stars. They can't get young players. They can't develop young players. They can't draft well. Like if your best player is R.J. Barrett, you just suck. <laughs> yeah, that's and, true. And that's you know, dude. And it's so like deliciously ironic that they're in this huge media market where they could, you know, they they could they could conceivably get any player right um and they could conceivably build this great team in a city where everybody wants to be but but yeah they're basically the they're like the charlotte bobcats right now in that they have they have really nobody on on their team that you want to watch and then they have one rookie you know the best feature of the new york knicks is madison square garden absolutely and it's a dump it's just a classic dump it's like a yeah it's a you know, it's Fenway before it was before Park, it was refurbished. Yeah. You know, and and yeah, even Fenway's yeah. nicer now because they they got new ownership. Where it was like, oh, maybe we should do something with this national treasure. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, there's as long as Dolan James effing Dolan is in charge of that team, <laughs> they're they're gonna be horrendous. Yeah, and or or they trip and fall into the next LeBron by accident. Yeah, kind of like yeah, Cleveland right. did. That's right. Man. You know, That's where Cleveland right. went from, 
I don't know, like a Zildrunas, a Zildrunas Ogoskis led yeah, team yeah. to, oh, all of a sudden we have the best player in since Michael Jordan. Oh, wait a minute. We have LeBron James. Um, and I'm, I'm going to throw a hot take out, and I'll be interested to hear your, your view on this. I don't think Zion is going to be that player. Um, I think he's almost a man without a position in, in today's NBA. And um, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. Or maybe we've discussed this on the program before. It's been so long. But um, um, I think Zion, I think Zion's floor is Sean Kemp. Okay. And I'll take that floor. Which, if, if that's what you get out of a number one overall pick, that is not disappointing. Because Sean Kemp, no. prior to lockout and 700 Twinkies, was really, <laughs> really good. Like you, yeah, he was. listeners. If you haven't watched, just go YouTube. Sean Kemp highlights and watch him just dunk people into oblivion. It's like watching Thanos Absolutely. snap his fingers. People just vaporize. It's insane. Um, that's a pleasure, man. Oh, it's Old so Sean much Kemp fun. Is good. And so that's like think that's Zion at his worst. I think yeah. he he probably ends up more Charles Barkley ish. Yeah, where he's I'll take that again. Hall of Famer. That's you know hard yeah. to complain about. If yeah. at his best, I, at his best, he he's Charles Barkley with better passing ability, because. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna get nerdy for a second, but I I was listening to some podcasts and they were breaking down how Duke used him. They didn't make him the role man in a pick and roll, but like four mm-hmm. times all season, four occasions, wow. not four games. He yeah. did more in in his first summer league game in which he played about eighteen minutes or something like that. He did more mm-hmm. rolling than he did in, in his entire Duke season. That's and incredible. So, so there's already just putting him in a position to succeed. And then the other thing is a couple different games at Duke, he was a functional point guard and had like a 7-2 to two, uh, assist to turnover ratio. So there is some playmaking ability there. So I think he yeah. could be really, really good. But because he doesn't have a set position, I think it could take him a little while to figure it out in terms of yeah. how to dominate a game. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, man. I'm with you on that. Um, Piper, we are we are drawing near to the end of our, our program here, but uh, I want to get back to a thing that we that we used to do on on Happy Rant Sports and uh, and talk about some sports books. Uh, I actually have a, a new author that I found, and I've I've read a couple of his books and I've loved them. Uh, do you have anything like right on the tip of the tongue, sports book wise, that you want to promo this week? Uh, you go first. I read one recently, but it slipped my mind, so I'm going back to figure out which one it is. You lead off with that author, dude. Yeah, for me. So the the author is Dirk Hayhurst, who was like yes. a very journeyman uh, minor league pitcher, and then had a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Uh, wrote two incredible books about his experiences. Um, one is the Bullpen Gospels, which is kind of about double a triple a baseball his mm-hmm. his journey through the minor leagues and you know kind of the financial struggles and the personal struggles there's a lot of family stuff i mean to me this is like uh mfa program like memoir or memoir kind of catnip you know in the in the sense that it like it weaves in family it weaves in the culture um you know great great baseball writing obviously he really loves the sport writes really well about it um, and I actually just finished his uh, sequel to that one called Out of My League, which is about him, like, finally getting to live his dream up in the big leagues. I think he's a believer, for what it's worth. Um, those books came out on secular labels, but uh, but there's there's a lot in there that would um, suggest that he, that he knows the Lord, uh, which is kind of fun, too. I actually uh, – I did a thing that I never do, Pipe, and, and we can maybe talk about this on The Real Pod. I actually wrote a fan letter 
to Dirk Hayhurst. Really? Um, yeah, I, I went to his website and there was like a contact me thing. So I just reached out to him in like a paragraph and I was like, hey, really enjoyed your books. Thanks for writing those, which is a thing I almost never do. But I've done it like I've done it two or three times this summer. I think there's something about summer and having a little bit more time. It makes me want to let people know that I appreciate them. But uh, Dirk Hayhurst, if you're listening, uh, I loved your books. Uh, keep writing. And thanks for listening. That was we yeah, really appreciate absolutely. your just. And if you don't listen, just keep downloading. That's good too. Your patronage of having yeah. your for yeah. Well, I'd so I, I remembered which one it was, and so and then I thought of another book that that I wanted to highlight as well. So the one that I read most recently, finished it a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was the biography of Tiger Woods by Jeff Benedict. Ooh. Um, yeah, heard it was great. I haven't read it. It's it's phenomenal as a book. Just in terms uh-huh. of how well written it is, his story, you know, kind of how he puts it together. Benedict did a great job with it. Um, it's it's sort of devastatingly depressing as a story, mm. though. Just Tiger mm. Woods' story is so, so empty. Dark. Um, yeah, dark, empty, I mean, from, depressing. From the get-go, you know, his his relationship with his dad, his dad's relationship with his mom and how, you know, just – so much, so much idolatry of golf, so much trying to live vicariously through others, such a kind of an unhealthy obsession with competitiveness and golf. And the way, I mean, his, his almost dual personality alternating between being like the, the most, um, kind of the biggest, baddest man in, in, on the golf course. And then being like a, an almost, juvenile human when it comes to social relationships and not knowing how to Yeah, care. like a really a really dorky awkward dude I've like read. Both you know? dorky and awkward as also as well as just like crassly inappropriate and offensive, you know? Mm. And yeah. And just these you just look at it and you're like there this is not a whole man. And yeah, right. There's some real deficiencies there. And uh, you know, so as much as I like I love that Tiger Woods came back and started winning again, even if it's sparingly, because it's so fun for golf. Yeah. But it, it he has a really sad story. So it was hard to love the book because of that, but I loved the book because of how compelling it was and because Benedict did a great job with it. And it's just called Tiger yeah. Woods. The other one that I wanted to highlight, and I think I've actually talked about it on an early, early sports app. Uh, this is, this is uh, kind of in memoriam. Jim Bouton passed away mm. in the last, last two, book. three weeks. He wrote a book yep. called Ball Four. Um, it was kind of the first baseball kind of memoir tell-all. Most baseball yeah. books before that had been baseball journalists and things yep. like that that were very much more sports writery, narrative-driven. Mm-hmm. And his was like from the perspective of a bullpen pitcher. So kind of the inspiration for the Dirk Hayhursts of the world. Um, yep. And and he he was – People hated it when it came out. Fans loved it. Baseball people hated it because it just didn't cast them in a good light. Like he made coaches look like buffoons. He made baseball players look like clowns because yep. they're grown men playing a boy's game for a career. Um, yeah. But it's so fun and so well written. And you can tell that he both loves baseball and kind of gives it side eye at the same time. Um, but he just passed away. Which is what you should do if you're yes. a grown up. I mean, yeah. like that's a very adult thing to do. Right. I mean, if, if you play a sport for a career, I feel like you should both give it your absolute all seek to be your best and kind of look at it and go, 
how silly is this? I get to play a game for a living and get overpaid for it. How this is amazing. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But that one's, I mean, if you're a baseball fan or just like a sports fan who likes fun writing, that one yeah. ball four by Jim Bouton is a great read. I uh, totally agree, man. Couldn't agree more. Love those, uh, love those Jim Bouton books. Uh, Piper, we have done what we always do on this program in that we have wandered to and fro uh, throughout some NBA things and throughout some Quentin Tarantino movies. Uh, this has been a blast, man. I'm happy to be, I'm happy to be back in the Happy Rant Sports saddle. Um, look for these more consistently. I think I think Pipe and I are revitalized. We're ready to do some NFL preview talk in a week or so. And until next time, Christoph Waltz. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast.